Welcome to the Heart of Healing, the pandemic episodes. I am your host, Tom Fould. In these episodes, we will meet loving, talented people who, while coping with their own pandemic stress, are offering others understanding, compassion, love, and ways to relax and heal, even under the weight of current conditions. Listen with an open heart to those who, in this time of crisis, are offering their hearts and talents to us all. And I'm very happy today to have as our guest, Kelly Campbell, who is a trauma-informed conscious leadership coach. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you, Tom. I'm very excited to be here and to have a great conversation with you. I'm excited to have you here and to ask you, let's start by describing, as you will, a trauma-informed conscious leadership coach. I love that title. Well, I made it up. Um, (laughs) It is a... I guess I would say a, a conglomerate of all of the things that I think are sort of my superpowers in the world and what I think is are necessary for leaders right now. So I have a, a certification through ICF, which is trauma-informed coaching, like a certified trauma-informed coach. And then the conscious leadership aspect is what I specifically do with the leaders of creative technology and media companies. So you might call that marketing and advertising. I don't like those two words. So I say creative media and tech. Okay. Well, that's, that, that's interesting. I, I wish I had known that at the time that I was in marketing and advertising back, <laughs> back in the day, but let's, let's backtrack for a second on that, uh, you know, trauma informed. Tell us about that. Well, if you think about it, um, we have all suffered or experienced some kind of trauma, whether that's big T trauma, right, or small T trauma at some point in our lives. Mostly we're talking about childhood, formative years from zero to 12, some say zero to 14. Right. And so that could run the gamut of, you know, different types of or forms of abuse that could be, you know, living with a a parent who is an alcoholic or maybe suffered from a mental illness or, you know, all manner of things that would be categorized as more traumatic or, or big T trauma. These are things that fall under the ACEs category, adverse childhood experiences. They, the acronym is ACEs. Um, about 70% of people have experienced some of that big T trauma in their formative years. Yes, And, yes. you know, I don't think that any one of us has um, sort of gone through childhood unscathed. It's very <laughs> like, hard to do. <laughs> no, no one has had a perfect quote unquote childhood. And so there are different traumatic uh, experiences that we've all had. And what happens is these experiences really are the bedrock of your behavior certainly maladaptive behaviors as you get older. And so those of us who go into the leadership realms, we own companies or we're managers or directors or CEOs, we don't leave that stuff at the door, right? We bring it into the boardroom. We bring it into our our offices and which means that we bring that into the relationships with our employees, unfortunately. Absolutely. I mean, I have to attest to that having spent 30 years in advertising or whatever you want to call it, but still, the, mem- the people who were my bosses and or the owners of companies that I worked with could have used your help. Yeah. Yeah. And so here's the thing. Most leaders could use this help. And the reason for that is because we have started rewarding decades and decades ago. We started rewarding behaviors that what 
what I would call maladaptive, right? So when you step on other people, you take credit for their work, you don't think that anyone else possibly has the answer except for you, you never ask for help, you don't get vulnerable, right? This kind of command and control more dominant or aggressive behavior that has been rewarded certainly in corporate culture, right? And so it's no matter that, no wonder that if that's being rewarded, there's really no impetus to try to change things. But now after the, or or as we're kind of at the tail end of the pandemic, hopefully, that's a very different story, my friend. (laughs) That is not flying anymore. There's a lot of, of resignations happening. A lot of people during the pandemic have thought about what they've been living with, thought about what that job was really like. And I've said, yeah, I'm not going to have any more of that. They may not know where they're going, but they certainly don't want to have that. And the number one thing that's been quoted related to the great resignation is toxic company culture. Yes. And so this is exactly what we're talking about. Um, I've heard it said, you know, we talk a lot about the symptoms of toxic culture. Right. Never talk about addressing the root issues and the root issues are actually trauma. Trauma, yeah. Trauma. yeah. It's very interesting. I, one story that I like to tell about, about the trauma or so forth is in a company that I worked for, they had a big, a big award for the person who did, quote, the best, however they determined that. And the award was a, a trip around the world, you know, for, for a couple. And the interesting thing was several people won that, but no one ever took it because to taking it meant you have to leave the office for two or three weeks. And they couldn't afford to do that because they they, they were in charge only by being there. Right, right. So, you know, what does that give you? That gives you a culture where you do whatever you possibly can. You almost kill yourself to try to reach this pinnacle, this award or this promotion or this higher salary. Um, And, you know, those, those behaviors are, they're rewarded. And so now what you see are people leaving when those behaviors are being rewarded? And everyone's like, well, I don't understand. Why is it so hard to find talent? Or why when I recruit talent, why is it so much more expensive? People are being much more discerning. Right. And and why don't they stay? Well, once they get in there and find out it's not not as all as advertised, so to speak. Right. They, they leave. Right. So now you've got the talent to help these people, but are they open? I mean, obviously you're in business. They must be open to taking your services. How I find that unusual that that places. Are they special places that say, yeah, I, I realize we have some problems here and we need some help? Well, if you think about the creative field in general, we're talking about branding, you know, website design and development, um, strategy work, anything in that, in that kind of realm, digital marketing. These are people who are a little bit more open. Maybe we could paint that as a broad brushstroke to say they're a little bit more open, they're more creative, right? A little bit more comfortable being vulnerable. And so conscious leadership is very attractive to those people. They tend to care about their employees a little bit more. They tend to care about the environment a little bit more, wanna be out in nature, right? They value their time with family. And I'm not saying that no other industry has leaders that that value these things, but in the creative realm, um, which is what my background is in, it's just an easier, I won't even call it a sell. It's a thing that people are looking for because even when they approach me as like an agency growth consultant, quote unquote, they're not necessarily looking to scale um, to a hundred or 500 employees they're not even necessarily looking to make 10, 20, 30 million dollars. They're 
goals are much more in line with their maybe life work integration. Right. And what what do you find when you work with them are the basic, I don't know if you can just say individual traumas, but the underlying issues that you find when you work with, with these people? Well, you know, we can boil trauma down to almost one thing across the board, right? We can say that most people who have experienced some kind of trauma sort of inherit or, or develop an understanding of themselves that they are not good enough, that they are right. not worthy, that they are not valuable, that they don't matter as much, right? And so the brand of trauma, the, the actual traumatic experience or memory or you know whatever it may be for these individual people, of course, that spans the gamut. But at the end of the day, people are just trying to, you know, really um, feel like they matter, want to feel seen, heard, understood, respected, and feel a sense of belonging. And so, you know, what it, what the, the baseline is, is they want to be running companies where they want their employees to feel that level of support. They want to turn out good work. They want sustainability. And at the end of the day, they also want to make a profit, right? Nothing wrong with any of those things. Nothing wrong with that. That's all good. But all they're, good. if they're not doing that, there must be something happening that's not working. That's right. And so what I find most is that they are the reason why the business is held back. Right. So they have to have a certain level of self-awareness to understand, hey, I might be the problem. Can you help me figure out if I am the problem, what, what is the actual issue and how do we work past it? So that is in a nutshell, kind of what I do. That's a marvelous, marvelous talent you have to do that. What do you do with it? How do you, is it, is it therapy? Is it work, you know, exercises? What, what do you do? So, so it's a hybrid of coaching and consulting. And, um, but I'm very clear about what the containers are. So for example, I've got one coaching call per month and one consulting call per month. There's other asynchronous work and, and different things that we collaborate on offline. Um, but the coaching container, that one hour call per month is very specific to um, me listening very intently, very actively listening, listening for things that are said, listening for things that go unsaid, watching body language because our you know, conversations are on Zoom. Um, and I'm holding space for them and I'm asking really good, deep, profound questions to get them to do the work because there's nothing more empowering to a client than to actually have them come up with the solution for themselves. That's the most believable. Right. Totally separate from consulting, right? Where on a consulting call where I'm wearing that hat, I'm helping them solve problems, you know, fixing, repairing, giving them the answers, basically. Right? right. So two very, very different things. And I will tell you in the beginning, before I was certified as a coach, um, I really didn't understand the difference between coaching and consulting. And now that I understand that the line has a very, very clear delineation it's so much easier to show up on each one of those calls because both of us are engaging in something where we both know exactly what's expected of us and how the other one is going to show up. So it's actually a really, and it cultivates a really beautiful relationship. That sounds wonderful. Could you tell us a couple of questions or sample kind of questions you ask on the coaching calls? Well, it's different every time, right? Because sure. again, everybody's coming in with different things, but 
So I'll just give like a quick example. Um, let's say a client had um, an interaction with an employee where the interaction made the, the owner feel very frustrated. Like, oh my God, this employee is asking for another thing, another uh, additional benefit or whatever it might be. And don't I give them enough? Like I support them so much. They just keep asking and taking and, and it's so frustrating. And if that, if that owner has that experience during the day, doesn't know how to resolve it, has it churning in their mind and then goes home to his wife, sparks up a little argument subconsciously, right? Because he's still not playing out the, the issue with the employee. That's going to cause a fight. Then there may be kids at home. Those kids are going to see the, the parent fighting. Now the owner has some self-awareness to say, wow, if I track this all the way back to the issue with the employee, what was it in me? Or this might be the question that I would ask. What was it in me that is kind of unresolved? Why did this issue with this employee trigger me or activate me to the point where I couldn't let it go? I couldn't resolve it on my own. Is there something from my past that might've looked like this or, you know, that kind of inquiry. Are they usually aware enough to say, is there something from my past? Because as you were talking about it, I was thinking it's, it's probably something from their past. But I, I never... well, as, as we get into the relationship, sometimes they'll be the ones to say, you know, I can't think of something that looked like this, you know, right. from my past. But in the very beginning of the relationship, no, they're not. They're not there yet. They're not automatically turning inward. They're just focusing on blame shame, guilt, you know, based on the employee's actions. And I think that's the overall takeaway, right? What we want to do is we want to get to a point in our lives where every little thing that happens, everything that causes us us suffering or frustration or anger or whatever, we want to not push those emotions away. We want to invite them in, experience them, and then look at, well, what was it in me, right? That might be unresolved that even had this behavior, you know, uh, evoked this behavior. That's what we want to be able to do because the, the suffering and the, and the, the things that trigger us from the outside, you know, these external things, they're going to happen all the time. We can never stop them, but it's how we deal with them and how we respond to them. And if they trigger something from the past, they'll do it all the time until they identify it until they recognize it. In this way, do you notice whether this is more prevalent in men or women, or does it not matter? It doesn't matter. Um, I don't think that there is uh, something more prevalent. I think, you know, we're all human and we all have had different experiences that shape us. And no, so I don't think that there's any difference. I was at some point um, attracting more male identified um, agency leaders but that has kind of gone by the wayside and now it's pretty much 50-50. The reason I guess I asked is because historically or in general, general speaking, men are not as open to having their feelings or sharing their feelings. I mean, yes, but we're also talking about men in the creative services industry. Now that's true. You're right. Absolutely. Different. It's a different animal. <laughs> no, I was going to say totally a different animal. You know, in someone who was a creative director at an ad agency and then decided, hey, I want to do my own thing, you know, create my own company, create my own culture. 
that person is just going to be a little bit more open than the CEO of a financial services firm. Understood. Understood. So what it made, is industry specific, I think. What was it for you that said, I need to get out of actually doing this and, but, and get into helping people to do it? Yeah. So I owned um, my agency. It was a cause marketing firm for 14 years. Um, I sold that in 2016 and it was selling that agency and not knowing what was next for me that right. ultimately led me to a very kind of deep, dark hole. I mean, I, I had a little bit of um, what you might call like a, an awakening because I didn't ever take the time during those 14 years. I never took the time to say, what do I actually um, find joy in? Who am I? What am I passionate about? I mean, I, I was a workaholic right. and really not, not very happy. Um, it absolutely impacted my marriage. Um, I'm divorced now. So there you go. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it was, I think one of those things where I've been in the trenches for, you know, about a decade and a half. And I came out the other side of it realizing, oh, there has to be a better way. There's right. got to be a better way. And if I went through this entire process and sort of discovered these things about myself and, and, you know, my behaviors and how I was bringing those things home and what things were triggered from my past, if I could identify all of this now that I'm out of it, I think that there's tremendous value in helping other people to do that. Oh, there certainly is. I had just this thought as you were talking about, if you had had, had that opportunity to learn all about what you did learn about yourself, do you think you ever would have entered that business to begin with? That is to have marketing and advertising. Um, it's a good question. I don't know. I don't know the answer. Um, you know, for me, and I, I talk about this in the book that I'm writing, um, I talk about the fact that I made a, a pretty interesting discovery while I was writing this book. I realized that the reason why I started my own agency was actually because I didn't feel worthy and lovable and valuable and all those things. I created a world in which I was needed. Right. So my employees needed me, my clients needed me, right? All of this, this whole entire ecosystem was predicated on me being successful and me being the one who had all the answers and right, all these things. And You're so being needed. yeah, being needed. And so if I couldn't feel valued or worthy, at least I would feel needed. And right. I didn't realize that that, I mean, clearly that's very subconscious, but I didn't realize until after the fact uh, that that's actually why I probably created this company on a very subconscious level. And I don't think that I'm alone in that. I think there are many, many leaders who do that. Some people call it drive. Uh, there's a lot of perfectionist kind of tendencies among leaders. And a lot of that stems from trauma. Some of those things are very much trauma responses, very textbook. Well, it's, it's entirely likely, as I've heard and read about, that many of the things we do based on our trauma are to try and find a way to get help. And to find a way to get to the other side of it. Yeah. Yeah. A little change, but in this period we've had, the last two and a half years of the pandemic, as more of this come about, have you seen more people you know, getting aware of their stuff and wanting help? Yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of one of those things where when you're forced into isolation and you right. have nothing to do uh, for the most part or not a lot of external um, you know, 
what's the word? Um, Validation. Well, I was going to say more like distraction. Yes, distraction. Uh, So isolation kind of breeds a little bit of introspection. And so there were a lot of people who never really looked at this stuff before, never thought about it before, and started feeling very uncomfortable because a lot of the distraction, it's the same reason why the consumption of alcohol went up tremendously during the pandemic, right? Right. Um, So being alone with yourself is quite uncomfortable, especially if you're not used to that. So yes, uh, there was certainly a pretty big surge for people who were interested in unpacking some of this stuff, they realize, oh, these, how I'm feeling and the behaviors and, and the job that I'm staying in and maybe the marriage I'm staying in and all these things are just not fitting me anymore. And it's really uncomfortable. So I've got to reach out and get some help. And so the number of people who started going to therapy for the first time shot up. The number of people who were hiring coaches like me raised significantly. I don't think that that is going to change because now that we're starting to see that we are not uh, disintegrated people, we don't live in these silos or these compartments where here's the, the individual version of me and here's the work version of me, right? Right, right. So now that we're realizing that integration, right? Like I can see into your home, you can see into my home. This is a very different, a different world that we live in. Um, than ever before, where maybe you put on a suit to go to work and I put on something and we're meeting in an office space. This is this is more intimate, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, and it's it's okay if your dog is barking in the background or the kid is running around, you know, it's humanity. It's known, as, known as real life. Real life, humanity, and what comes with humanity are all the things that we bring from the past, whether those are open wounds or scars or, you know, whatever they may be. Or they may have been buried, so we don't want to look at them, but now we have to. I think it's wonderful that the world has you to help because you sound like you really have done work on yourself and that you're aware of what you needed and what others might need too. It was a a decent long road. but yeah, there, the, there are aspects of the work that I do now that feel slightly akin to therapy for agency leaders. And then there are times when it feels very much like just business coaching, you know, right. well, and- business coaching. And I like that hybrid because I don't think that I meant to do only one of those. I feel like the hybrid of both. Well, I think that's wonderful you have that, that you have that hybrid because I've noticed that my wife happens to be a coach and I noticed that while some of her stuff does involve, you know, telling them how to do something, the other is listening and helping them work through their, having them work through their stuff. And so it's a very valuable uh, ability to have, and, and you have that, and that's wonderful. One other thing I want to ask you, because time is flashing by, as it always does on these shows, um, you did something during the pandemic, maybe you're still doing it, it had to do with helping people to find food, is that correct? Oh, um, you're talking about the soup, uh, soup angels, soup angels. I love that name. I want to just because people need to do wonderful things and you're doing that. Tell me a little bit about it. Oh, I would love to talk about this. It's one of my great joys. Um, I actually have uh, tomorrow night. I'll be going there. So soup angels is an organization locally uh, here to me in Nyack, New York, where there are probably about I'm going to say 200 meals that we give out 
um, every Monday and every Wednesday and have been doing so for about 12 years or more. And uh, no questions asked, anyone from the community who wants to come in, families, individuals, doesn't matter. Um, before the pandemic, we were doing sit down meals, white uh, linen tablecloths, flowers, candles, bread oh. on the tables. We wanted to create uh, a restaurant experience. I'm not uh, any one of the founders or anything. I'm just a volunteer there. But it's it was just such a great joy to provide you know, an experience that most of the people in the community who visit the, the soup kitchen or come to the soup kitchen for food, they don't necessarily go out to a restaurant, right? They don't have the means for that. So this experience twice a week was really great. And then they also left with a meal and a, a lunch for the next day or, you know, to get them through the, uh, the next couple of days. During the pandemic, we not only were giving the meals away, but also with uh, coordination with some of the um, the food distribution uh, organizations yes. around the county and around the state, actually, we were also giving them groceries so they could come in, get a hot meal or two or three, and also do grocery shopping right there uh, inside of uh, the church that we do this out of. So it was, it's a fantastic program. Um, we have a it's lot wonderful. of- Give me the name again so we, people can hear it. And if they want to get involved, they can get involved. Yeah, Soup Angels of Nyack. I, okay. I believe, I mean, if you Google it, you'll, you'll be able to find it. I don't know if I know the, the address or the website. Oh, Soup Angels of Nyack, that should get most people. Yeah, there. that'll get you there. Yeah. And I mean, obviously always looking for donations, um, but yeah, just an amazing organization, hundred percent volunteer run. Um, it runs out of, uh, like I said, a, a local church um, in Nyack. Mm -hmm. And the way, that, the way that that whole thing started in terms of my involvement was actually through my agency. I mentioned at the top of the show that we were a cause marketing firm. Yes. And so part of our uh, ethos was to give back to the local organizations, whether it was an animal shelter or the soup kitchen or what have you. And so we would raise money through social media for these local organizations and charities and then also volunteer there as, as a company. And I loved it so much that I just never left. I'm uh -huh. still, still there seven years later. You found something that really opened your heart. And that you I love it so much. Yeah. And getting to know some of the people from the community, um, having seeing their, the smile on their face because they see someone that they recognize time after time that they come. It's uh, I think I get out of, out of it more than they do. Well, that's, um, I think that we all do. When someone smiles because of something we're doing, that helps us tremendously. Yeah. And, and you have done that. I have smiled a lot during this conversation, and I thank you for that. And I thank you for being on the show. But before we get off here, when the time is zipped, uh, if other people are as intrigued as I am and would like to know more, either about the local stuff or just about what you do, how can they best get in touch with you? Yeah, my website is honestly the best way. It's just my name. So klcampbell.com. klcampbell.com. Very good. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for being a guest. This has been a delightful show and you are doing wonderful work. Keep it up. Thank you, Tom. It's been my pleasure. Take good care now.